Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So we've been preaching through the book of Acts. We're, we're early on. We're in the very beginning. We're just getting into chapter four. And so what have we seen so far? Uh, Jesus uh, commands his disciples to, to go forth and make disciples uh, of all nations, right? And he ascends back to the right hand of the Father. And after he does that, he sends the Holy Spirit. That's Pentecost. And the, the Spirit descends uh, upon the people and uh, they're uh, immediately then Peter preaches and the church begins to explode. Thousands of people come uh, to profess faith in Jesus. And we saw last week how Peter and John were walking. They were going to the temple and on their way to the temple, they run into a lame beggar who's sitting at the beautiful gate there and asking for money. And Peter and John look at him and say, uh, money we do not have, but what we do have, we give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk, and the lame beggar is healed. And he gets up and he goes rejoicing, running into the temple. And I love what it says uh, in, in Acts 3. It says, while Peter, uh, while this man was still clinging to Peter and John, right? You get this picture that he's, he's wrapped around their, their waist or their legs, just clinging to them, and they begin to preach. And, uh, and, and again, Peter preaches and, and, and people are moved by the Spirit. And uh, now we're going to see, um, uh, you know, the, the church up to this point has been growing rapidly. I mean, this is as good as it could possibly uh, be. And uh, now we're going to see the first instance of opposition and hostility in Acts. Jesus said to his disciples, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And so from the very beginning, and for almost 2,000 years, all the way up to today, persecution has been a lived reality for the followers of Jesus Christ. Here's the truth. If you're a Christian, you either have been, or you are be, or you are being right now, or you will be persecuted. Um, it is uh, part of following Christ. So how should we respond to this? How should we respond when we face persecution? Should we despair? Should we become uh, belligerent? Should we uh, hide and try to fly under the radar? Well, there's one word that characterizes uh, Peter and John and the people of God in this passage. Uh, one word that has characterized faithful disciples ever since. That word is boldness. Boldness. So, kids, listen for that word, uh, boldness, uh, as I read. And uh, let's stand, if you're willing and able. This is the word of the Lord for you today from Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And as they, that is Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, 
greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated, please. So imagine some situations. Imagine that you are a student and you are in the cafeteria, it's lunch break, 
and uh, you're there with your friends, you're all gathered around the cafeteria today, uh, table together, or you're with your family, it's the holidays, right, Thanksgiving, and you're all gathered on Thanksgiving to eat together around the table, or you're at work and on break, and you and your coworkers are sitting there, and someone turns to you and says, you don't really believe that ridiculous stuff, do you? What'd you say? Remember uh, Martin Luther, who uh, was the early leader of the Reformation and wrote uh, literature on the grace of God and the, um, uh, the, the truth of the scriptures and was called before the religious authorities of the day. And they demanded him to recant, to take back what you're teaching about God. How did Luther respond? He said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Thus, I cannot, I will not recant, because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Peter Cartwright was a great circuit-riding Methodist preacher, and he had moved um, from Tennessee to Illinois because of his, um, he didn't agree with slavery. And so uh, he was leading a, a Methodist church in Illinois, and it was told to him one Sunday, the deacons came to him and said, uh, President Andrew Jackson is here. And they knew Cartwright and how he was not afraid to just say whatever he thought God wanted him to say without really caring what, what people thought. Uh, and so um, they, they, they warned him, please don't say anything that would offend the president. So when Cartwright stood up to preach, he said, I understand President Andrew Jackson is here. I've been told, been requested to be guarded in my remarks. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent of his sins. <laughs> and the audience was shocked. And, uh, and afterwards, the president found uh, Cartwright and he said to him, sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. Boldness, right? Peter and John, um, before the Sanhedrin here in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are, are, are uh, put in prison overnight and they're brought to uh, before this uh, group called the Sanhedrin. All the religious leaders uh, of the day and the way it worked, it was they uh, would sit in a semicircle and you would, you'd be in the midst of them. And, and it's interesting because the passage mentions some people who are there, Annas and Caiaphas, who were both involved in Jesus's trial uh, that led to his crucifixion. And so here are Peter and John uh, with the same men who tried Jesus now facing them. What were they thinking? What's about to happen to us? Dennis Johnson says, Boldness is a hallmark of the church in the afterglow of Pentecost. Boldness is a hallmark of the church in the afterglow of Pentecost. So let's think together this morning about boldness. Not baldness. Ray's preaching that sermon next week. Boldness, right? Bold. A blank page uh, on the inside of your, your bulletin there if you want to um, use that. Just a... Every time I, I, I put a blank page in the bulletin, I always get somebody comes out after church and says, oh, I see you didn't have time to prepare this week. Okay, that, <laughs> that may or may not be true, but 
But sometimes that's actually intentional. And here's, here's what I'm getting at is, is uh, there are times where I just want you to listen. I just want you to, I want you to put the pen down and just listen and, um, uh, and, and realize that that's okay. In fact, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, I've often discouraged the taking of notes while I'm preaching. The first and primary object of preaching is not only to give information. It is, as Edwards says, to produce an impression. It is the impression at the time that matters, even more than what you can remember subsequently. While you're writing your notes, you may be missing something of the impact of the Spirit. So, you know, listen, this, this that's happening right now, this is what we're doing right now, this preaching, this is not a lecture, okay? When the Word of God is preached, you're having a living encounter with the risen Lord, right? And so, guys, think about this. If you took your wife to Burns Steakhouse for an anniversary dinner, right, and, and you get there, it's this beautiful setting, you get, the food's laid out before you, and, um, uh, and you have your dinner, and you get out your notepad, and you just start taking notes like this of everything she's saying, right? What would she do? She'd say, put that down, right? Look at me. Focus on me. Um, that's kind of what I would want for you this morning, right? Uh, some people, it really helps them to take notes. It helps them to focus. Maybe you doodle or whatever, but, but just know that it's okay. Um, maybe you want to take that blank piece of paper and just write down one thing that you hear this morning. It's one thing that the, the Spirit says to you that you want to uh, then meditate on um, further. So, okay, enough of that. Boldness, right? Boldness. What is it? Why do we struggle with it? And how do we get it? Okay. What is it? Why do we struggle with it? And how do we get it? First, boldness. What is it? Here's a definition of boldness. Boldness is courage and confidence to speak in spite of any danger or threat and a willingness to suffer the uh, consequences. That should be Boldness is courage and confidence to speak in spite of any danger or threat and a willingness to suffer the consequences. The Sadducees here in Acts chapter 4, the main opposition. These, the Sadducees, you might be familiar with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees are really like um, uh, the, the, the guys in charge, the power brokers of the temple. Right? They ran the temple they uh, were the ones who cooperated with the Romans, who were expected to keep the peace and not let things uh, get out of hand. The Sadducees also didn't believe in resurrection. So a rapidly growing movement of people who believed in a resurrected man as their king was a problem. It was very upsetting to them. It was an existential threat to their power and their comfort. So they put Peter and John in prison overnight and, and realized, just because it was 2,000 years ago, it's never fun to be put in prison, right? No one wants to spend a night in jail. They put Peter and John uh, in jail overnight. They, um, they tried to intimidate them. They warned them. They threatened them. And yet Peter and John remain uh, resolute models of boldness. So what is boldness? Two things to say boldness is not one thing that boldness is. Boldness is not brashness. Okay, boldness is not brashness. Over the last several years, particularly as a result of our politics, many of us have falsely believed that brashness 
equals boldness. Um, We say, I'm just going to tell it like it is, right? Raw and and unfiltered. Um, We claim that we're being honest when really we're just being a jerk. Civility and respectful discourse are at all-time lows, and Christians are not immune from this. Um, Maybe you've been listening to the the podcast about uh, Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill Church. Um, We are not immune to um, confusing brashness and boldness. The gospel is offensive, but followers of Jesus should not be. Tim Keller is so helpful on this, it's worth quoting him in full. He writes this, he says, this description of persecution in Acts 4 must be put alongside Acts 2.47, that the early Christians enjoyed the favor of all people. In Acts 4.22, that all the people were praising God for what had happened, and that many who heard the message believed, and that their number grew to about 5,000. In other words, as a church, they were both suffering sharp persecution and enjoying enormous popularity and broad-based support. They were both attractive and growing, yet hated and attacked. This description of the early church cuts two ways. If on the one hand we experience no attacks or persecution for our faith, it means we simply are being cowards. We are not taking risks in our witness, we are not being bold. On the other hand, if we experience attacks without a concomitant fruitfulness and attractiveness, that is, if we get lots of persecution and no affirmation, it may mean that we are being persecuted for being harsh or insensitive or strident. Jesus said we would only be blessed if we were persecuted for righteousness' sake. It is quite possible, indeed it's very normal, for Christians to be persecuted not for their faith, but for their discourtesy, insensitivity, and lack of warmth and respect in their dealings with others. And sensitive, harsh Christians will have persecution but not praise. Cowardly Christians will have praise but not persecution. Most Christians whose walk with God is weak actually get neither. But Christians who are closest to Jesus will get both, as he did. So boldness is not brashness. And boldness is also not uh, bravado. Bravado is fake bravery. Bravado uh, pretends that there's no fear, right? Faith over fear. That's a phrase that has been thrown out uh, a lot lately. Um, But you are not being unfaithful if at times you feel afraid. Boldness is is not feeling no fear. Boldness is courage and confidence to speak in spite of fear. The Apostle Paul expressed this. Um, In 2 Corinthians 7, he said, when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Sometimes we think that um, boldness, we think of boldness, we think of superheroes, right? But Paul was no superhero. In fact, church history says that Paul was short, pasty, white, wrinkled, bald, and had a speech impediment. Boldness is not for superheroes. Anne Lamott wrote, Courage is fear that has said its prayers. Boldness is not bravado. Boldness is conviction. Boldness is conviction that God has spoken and so must we. Look again at what Peter and John say. When they're told to stop speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus, what do they say? They say, 
Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. A chapter later, they're going to experience persecution again, and, and they will say, we must obey God rather than men. Boldness is conviction. Conviction that God always has our primary allegiance. And what's the content of our conviction? The content of our conviction is what they say in verses 11 and 12. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected, which has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone being uh, either, could be translated two ways, either the, the stone at the corner of the building, the one that sets the whole building straight and right, on which the whole thing is built, or the capstone, the, the stone that's, that's put in last that holds it all together. Either way, it's, it's pointing, signifying that Jesus is the thing around which it all uh, revolves, right? He is the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Our conviction is that Jesus is the only way of salvation the only source of salvation in the world. There are not many paths to God. There is one path. Only those who call on the name of Christ can experience forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Boldness is conviction that we have this good news and this good news must be shared. Edith Schaefer um, tells a story. She was living in St. Louis in 1947 and she was asked by a group of women to put together a Bible study on something in the Old Testament called the Day of Atonement. And she, she thought, well, I, could, I can research it and read about it, but I'd really love to know what does a Jewish person think about the Day of Atonement and uh, from their perspective. And she had a neighbor who she knew who was Jewish. So she went to the neighbor and knocked on her door and said, I'm, I'm, you know, would you please uh, mind if, if, if it wouldn't be um, too much? I'm doing this study. I'd like to know what you think about the Day of Atonement and what it means to you. And, and she said, well, I'm, I'm not, really, not really that active in the faith. I'm not really sure. But there's this dentist who lives down on Pershing Avenue, and you should go talk to him. He's a good Jew. He knows. He, you should go talk to him, and, uh, and he'll tell you. So she goes down there. Knocks on the door, a young woman with black hair opens the door and she, she says, this is what I'm doing, I'm doing this study, I'd, uh, I'd love to, to, to hear what it means to you. And, and the young woman said, well, let me, let me get Papa. And um, invited her in, sat down, and this, this uh, gray-haired man walked down the stairs. Uh, his shoulders kind of hunched over and, and uh, sat down in the chair and, and, and she explained it and and said, if you be so kind, I don't want to impose, but would you be willing to tell me what the Day of Atonement means to you as a Jew? And, and he kind of looked off into the distance longingly, and he began to tell her about growing up in Austria and, uh, and told her about his father and his grandfather and how every year in the lead up to the Day of Atonement, they would con- try to confess all of their sins uh, and... Um, uh, and, and, and went through it all and explained to her all of these things. And after he was done, she was very thankful and very appreciative. And, um, uh, and she was getting ready to leave. And the, the daughter, the young woman who had answered the door, said, uh, can I just ask you something? 
you've been so kind and so, so thoughtful and respectful uh, in asking this question. I, I mean, I, I don't know any other, I don't have any other Gentile friends like that. Where you actually seem to love us and, and want to know us. Where does that come from, that love that you have? And she said, well, um, I would love to tell you. Uh, but, you know, you've invited me into your house. Your, your father has been so kind. He, you know, if he, if he wants to ask that question, I don't want to offend him. Um, but if, if you'd like to know, it might take a little while. I'll explain it to you. We're going to have to take a big look at the Bible. And, but, but I'd be happy to tell you, do you want to know? And uh, the girl looked at her dad and she said, Pops, we, we want to know, don't we? And he said, yes, we do. And so she began to, to tell them the story of the Bible and, and tell them, uh, walk through the Old Testament and then get to the New Testament and started to talk about Jesus. And, and this is what happened. She said, as I got to the place of needing con- to continue into the New Testament, I stopped again to be sure that I would not offend. Do you want me to go on? I don't want to speak of things which would offend you. Go on, please go on. Don't stop, came the reply. So I continued right through to the end of Revelation and all that is pictured ahead. When I finished and the heavenly city had been described and the whole story had come to its climax, the old Austrian Jew sighed a deep sigh, turning his head to look up at his daughter, said, Daughter, have you ever heard anything so beautiful? No, Father, I never have. Then the father turned his head to look at me. For 30 years I've been a dentist in this city. For 30 years, I've had Gentile patients. Why has no one ever told me all this before? Why has no one ever been bold enough to tell me about Jesus? Gospel boldness is beautiful. It's a life-giving. It's what our world needs. And yet, if we're honest, we so often lack it. Why is that? Why do we struggle with boldness? Instead of courageous, we can be cowardly. Instead of strong, we can be silent. We can be like Peter who declared at the Last Supper, I'll never deny you. I will, even, even unto death, I'll die before that. And then just a few hours later, he's wilting under the intense questions of a little girl. In those moments where boldness is required, our our true hearts can be revealed, can't they? In those moments of required boldness, we realize that the approval of man has often become more important to us than the approval of God. When my power or my status or my position is put in jeopardy, then I will go into self-protection mode so as not to lose them. Obedience to Christ in a hostile environment is always costly, and yet I am so often unwilling to pay that cost. We live in a culture, too, that teaches that truth is relative, and any belief system that doesn't embrace religious pluralism is bigoted and oppressive. Christians boldly declaring that Christ is the only way are no longer just seen as um, inconvenient or annoying, but actually seen as a problem, right, as uh, dangerous. Barna does um, uh, research, and uh, they came out with some statistics. They asked practicing U.S. Christians questions. Um, so these are practicing Christians in the U.S. They, they said to reply to this 
this uh, statement, part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. Uh, Elders, people 75 and older, 95% agreed with that statement. Uh, Boomers, 55 to 74, 95% agreed. Gen X, 36 to 54, 97% said part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. And millennials, uh, young Christians, 96%, they all agreed part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. But look at the next question they asked. What do you say to this? It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. It's wrong to share your faith with someone in hopes that they'll one day share it as well. 20% of elders agreed with that statement. 90% of boomers, 27% of Gen Xers, 47%. Millennials, half. Half of uh, Christians between 20 and 35 said it's wrong to share your faith in the hopes that someone else would one day share the same faith. And it makes sense because they also asked, if someone disagrees with you, it means they're judging you. And you can see 40% uh, of young Christians say, if someone disagrees with you, it means that they are judging you. Um, This is not to denigrate millennials, but it illustrates the challenge that we face. And that challenge is only going to grow. Um, How will we ensure that we are faithful links in the chain of gospel belief that stretches all the way back to the disciples? We need boldness. But how are we going to get it? That's the final point. How do we get boldness? Look again at Acts 4 verse 13. It says, now, when they, that is the religious leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. By uneducated and common, they mean that they recognized they were not professionals. Right Here you have these religious professionals looking at these fishermen. They're, they're not professionals. They they didn't go to Bible school. They haven't memorized the Romans road. They're just normal guys. They're laymen. So what gave them boldness? Says they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now it's not like it just dawned on them like all of a sudden like, oh wait, these these are Jesus' disciples. They knew that they were Jesus' disciples. They recognized by the way that they spoke They were Jesus' disciples. They they thought, oh, Jesus is rubbed off on them. They're just like him. They recognized that from their boldness. This Peter, who had denied Christ three times, was now boldly declaring him as Lord and Savior. Jesus had promised this would happen. Back in Luke chapter 12, he said, to his disciples, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And that's exactly what happened. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, went on to say. And then when they had prayed, The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and as a result, continued to speak the word of God with boldness. 
So how do we get boldness? Boldness is not a moral virtue acquired by repeated exercise. Boldness is a divine gift. It comes from being with Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. It comes through soaking in the word and prayer. Did you notice that when Peter and John go back to their friends and, uh, and they pray, how did they pray? They didn't pray for God to take away the persecution. They prayed that God would continue to make them bold. They, they prayed Psalm 2, which uh, is a messianic psalm that reminded them that the worst persecution ever committed, the murder of Jesus himself, was preordained and planned by God to bring about the salvation of the world. And if God was sovereign over that, then he was certainly sovereign over any persecution they would face. He would work that out for his glory and for their good. The church father Chrysostom said that when the Holy Spirit shook the room that the disciples were in, that it made them all the more unshaken. Boldness. A stone lying in the sun can't help but grow warm. In the same way as we expose our hearts to the warmth and light of Jesus, we can't help but be transformed and grow bold. There's a story of a man who was walking in the field and he saw a house in the distance and off to the side of the house, he saw a man who was pumping a well and he was, he was pumping this well very vigorously and, uh, and, and he was impressed because he was doing it with speed and it didn't, it didn't seem to be slowing down at all. One bit just kept pumping, pumping, pumping. And so he wanted to, to get a closer look. And as he got closer to the house, he noticed that the man wasn't actually a man at all. It was a wooden figure that had been painted to look like a man. And the, uh, the arm was, was hinged uh, and the hand was connected uh, to the pump handle and water was pouring forth from the pump, but not because the man was pumping the pump, because the pump was pumping the man. It was an artesian well, right? And in the same way, the Holy Spirit has promised to fill and overflow the lives of all who keep drawing near to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. So what's our job? Keep your hand on the pump. Keep your hand on the handle. Let the Spirit flow through you. Pray for boldness, and the Sovereign Lord will give it. He will use you in ways that you can't even imagine. I see it every week in the church. I hear about it every week of, of a, a, a core group member in the villages who invited a same-sex couple to come to worship, and they did. Of, uh, of a, a student in our church who goes to one of our public schools and who talks to their friend, uh, talks to his friends about Jesus and, and brings them to youth group. Of a, of a grandparent who has a grandchild and the grandchild's parents want nothing to do with Jesus, but this grandparent still talks to the grandchild about Jesus all the time and brings them to church whenever they have them. So Holy Spirit, please continue to make us bold. Holy Spirit, make us a bold people. Holy Spirit, make us a bold church. Lord, would you use us for the glory of your name and the furtherance of your kingdom. Transform us and make us mourn, mourn to the likeness of Christ.
the one who was courageous and confident to speak in spite of all the threats and dangers, who did suffer the consequences for us. It's because of him and his boldness and in his name we can boldly pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.